1: The following encore presentation of the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze is a favorite from our archives. Hope you enjoy this second helping. Thanks for listening. Here's what's about to happen on this edition of the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, and it's going to be fun. My conversation with Food Network television star Giada De Laurentiis in front of a large audience in Madison, Connecticut. It started with a generous introduction from Roxanne Cody of R.J. Julia Booksellers.
0: So I have the pleasure of introducing two people uh, one who is a longtime friend, Faith Middleton, who is yes, for those of us who live in Connecticut, she has been with Connecticut Public Radio for 38 years, and for even for those of us who don't cook. I sit there and think I ought to cook, or I sometimes make up that I did cook, what, what she talks about. But Faith is also a two-time recipient to the Peabody Award for her work at Connecticut Public Radio. She's the host, obviously, and executive producer of Faith Middleton's Food Schmooze. She's got two honorary doctorates. She has taught the art of the interview at Yale University. She did a book a number of years ago called Goodness of Ordinary People, which was wonderful and also published by Random House. And she was inducted into the Women's Hall of Fame here in Connecticut, and her show was named to Connecticut Magazine's Hall of Fame. And she has graciously agreed to join us tonight to interview Giada. Now, for me to give you an introduction to Giada and tell you about all her shows, and this is her ninth book, and her book is great, and all you know that, and that's why you're here, that's why you stood in line for four days um, in order to see her. Here is what I have noticed in the times that Giada has been here and watching all of you interact with her is this, and this is what I think at the end of the day matters. She is inspiring. We hear more kids who are interested in cooking. I think she has single-handedly reintroduced the idea that a family dinner might be a really good idea with good food on the table and not phones on the table. And people feel connected to her. I mean, we rarely see readers, cooks, who feel like hugging her is appropriate because, of course, you know her. And it's that that I think there's lots of great cookbooks. But what Giada does, first of all, Ordinary people like me can cook and seem like brilliant cooks, but it's her connection to people and the inspiration that I think makes us all so excited and thrilled and wanting to meet her and be here. So, please join me in welcoming Faith Middleton and Giada (laughs) DiLorenzo.
1: Great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food <laughs> oh. oh! What an audience has appeared for my conversation with Food Network star Jada DeLaurentis. My special thanks to RJ Julia booksellers, especially the founder and president, Roxanne Cody. I think why waste one second? To celebrate her new cookbook, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome officially the author of Giada's Italy, Giada De Laurentiis. There's a lot of people here. Yeah, a lot of people. Oh my goodness. Um, welcome to the Fuchmas party. Giada, I like this cookbook very much, as I told you earlier. Yes, and you said
2: you read it 20 times.
1: I did. I did. So... You wrote that it reflects the way Italians, including you, like to eat. Can you explain what you mean by that?
2: Italians eat a little bit differently. We eat a lot of snacks. But our snacks consist of things like crostini with something on it. It's just enough to kind of carry you from lunch to dinner because we tend to eat dinner a little bit later in the day. I didn't want to just write a book that had... All right, a pizza chapter, and a sandwich chapter, and a soup chapter. I wanted everybody to understand that we eat... Pizzas for snack instead of a meal a little bit differently than they do here. And so that's why the book is broken down in that way. Uh I also wanted to include recipes that I haven't really been able to include either in my show or in other books because they're a little too labor-intensive. And I don't mean difficult as I mean you just need more than just your two hands. You need some family members to help you out because there are several steps like the sartu di Rizzo, for instance. Mm -hmm. It's not that it's hard, it just takes a long time. So in the past, I've never been able to include those kind of traditional Italian or family recipes. They weren't quick and easy, and I'm known for quick and easy Italian. But I also wanted you to understand that although Italians are busy people too, on the weekends... That is our bonding time. That is the time we spend together. And it means that multiple family members get together in the kitchen, and sometimes they start a sauce or a dish on Saturday, and they finish it on Sunday. That's where memories are made. That is how it happens for us. Now, in the old days, it happened almost every day of the week. But now, you know, it's a little tougher. We're all so busy. But I think it's a really nice way to maybe once a month get your family together or once every, however you can do it, pick a recipe like that and get everybody involved, and everybody takes uh, one part of the recipe. And that's what I've been doing with my family forever. Jada, I'm so glad you said that because later on I was going to
1: ask you about the pressure not to get ahead of your people and yet at the same time express something that is important to you. I think we get it. So, you nailed it for me on page 30 in your book, and this is a recipe. What's on page 30? Oh. <laughs> I'm going to say two words candied prosciutto. Yeah.
2: Have you guys ever had candied pursuit Wait, Faith, have you actually made that recipe, or have you just been looking no, at
1: it? I'm the one who serves bacon strips to people as an appetizer when they come in the door.
2: <laughs> no hard people problem. love bacon, bacon strips.
1: <laughs> this is even better, as far as I'm concerned. It's,
2: it's almost like a chip. It's so thin. But it's sort of the same principle as candied bacon, which I oh, know It seems love. healthier, though, is it? Well... Well, there's less of it because it's thinner, so maybe it is a little bit healthier, but there's still sugar and spice and all of that good stuff in it. It's still fat, and it's still a pork product. But I think it's not smoked, so that could make it a little lighter. It's thin, so it kind of crumbles. I love it over salads, even over, I know it sounds weird, over yogurt to give it like sort of a a spicy sweet. Anything you would put bacon on, you can put this on. Mm -hmm. But I like it as snacks, and sometimes I just put them in a cup, put them in the center of the table, and I serve them alongside the meal. Yeah.
1: I would that's eat how it on good a, they are. Jade I would eat it like on candy. a shoe. It really would. That's a <laughs> On a shoe? On a shoe. I would oh, eat it on I a shoe. I haven't
2: tried that, so <laughs> that'll be my next <laughs> one.
1: <laughs> so often when I make a so-called appetizer jada, that's dinner with a salad for me. Yeah. And I, I read you talking about that, and I love that philosophy. Let's get into that a little bit. Okay. I want to know why you don't feel wed to this concept of that there's an entree, there's an
2: appetizer, there's
1: a dessert.
2: Because I can't eat that much, Faith. I mean, once in a while I can, but regularly I can't possibly eat an appetizer. Usually it's two appetizers, by the way. It starts like salad, then a soup, and then your main course, and then maybe an intermezzo, and then dessert. Like, choke me. It's too much food. So I like to eat on the light side, and I feel like every day we sort of have a different level of hunger. Right? So, some nights, I just want to have, if I have leftover risotto, I make arancini di riso. And I have a few arancini di riso and a salad. I'm good to go. Why are you looking at me like that? (laughs) The the rice balls. Do you
1: really want to know? Well, you know that they're pretty dense. I'm thinking, can you eat as often as you might like to? Or are you prevented because of the kind of work you do? Yes, you personally.
2: Yeah, I eat whenever, yeah, sure. Like on the road, I got really hungry over here. I did not get to eat lunch. I had oatmeal for breakfast, which satiated me for quite some time. I eat my oatmeal with olive oil and sometimes almonds and sometimes some orange segments and salt. That's how I like my oatmeal, not sugary and stuff. But then I didn't get to eat lunch because we were working. So they gave me a salad. That lasted like 20 minutes. And I was like, I'm starving. So they bought a couple cookies. I ate them all. And then I heard we're going to have pizza all the way home. (laughs) Um, So I do. Now, I will say this, that on this book tour, I've had to be careful. Because if I eat a big meal, and I did this in Houston, I was starving. We got off a plane. We went to this Tex mex place. I ate a lot of chips and guacamole and chile and tacos. I did a signing with almost 1,000 people, and I wanted to. I was going to be sick. Because the energy level, I have to. Keep it up, right? But I'm so full. I just want to like <sighs> relax and take a nap. So yes, do I? am I careful about how much I eat before yeah. I'm going to be doing this or before I'm on a show or before I know that I can't just kick my feet up and hang out on the couch? Yeah, I'm careful. And I try mm-hmm. not to eat a lot. You know, our bodies need a minute to digest food. It slows us down in our thinking and our ability to move and be energized. So I can't eat as much. And it is something I think about.
1: There is a paste that comes up in several of your recipes. For instance, this spicy Calabrian shrimp.
2: Mm -hmm. Which is, by the way, a great meal with a salad. Exactly. And some
1: toasted bread or ciabatta. That's why I went there. As soon as I saw that recipe, I thought, that's dinner for me. Mm
2: -hmm. But Um, see, if I serve that to Jade for dinner... Your daughter? Yeah, my daughter or any male friend of mine, they'd look at me like, that's it? Where's the pasta? Where's all of the other stuff? So you and I can eat like that, but usually if I'm cooking for Jade, I've got to think of I need a starch, and I need a green, and I need a protein.
1: This Calabrian chili paste, though, really I was just so enchanted with this. I've never had it. You've it never is had like, it? I've
2: never had it. It's like sriracha. Can you, but you sweeter, Okay. not quite as vinegary as sriracha is. You can get it at Italian gourmet stores, but if you don't find it, You can get it on Amazon, (laughs) believe it or not. It is spicy, so you guys have to be very careful how much you use. I give you the measurements, but some people like a ton of heat. If you do, go wild with it. And you know what? It's one of those things that you can keep in your fridge for two years if it takes you that long to get through it. (laughs) But I'm telling you, it's a flavor bomb, and it works in everything. I use it in salad dressings. I use it in stews. I use it in pastas. I mean, I can just cook pasta, add a little bit of Calabrian chili paste and some garlic dinner's done. That's how great it is. Morning oatmeal. Yeah. Morning oatmeal. If I really want to be running around the block, but seriously, yeah. No, I would do that. Actually, I could do it for dinner. I'd rather the, the oatmeal with the Calabrian chili for dinner than I would for breakfast. I think that might put a hole in my stomach. We're. Let me tell
1: you what we're doing. This is Jada De Laurentiis. It's a great honor to have her on the show. And we are at an event sponsored by RJ Julia Booksellers in New York and Connecticut. We're in Madison in a room that is packed with people. Just hundreds of people who have come to see this amazing person. <laughs> Um, I want to thank you and the publisher very much for allowing us at Public Radio to put three of the recipes up on our site. This one I chose because. Oh, yeah, tell um, me what you chose. Cacio e Pepe, which has become.
2: <laughs> Can you? I mean, I would say that even two years ago, people were like, what's cacio? What's cacio pepe? What the heck is that? I feel like it has really taken off. What is
1: going on with this? So let's explain what this is.
2: They figured it out. It's great. It's so great. It's cheese and pepper. Who doesn't like cheese and pepper on pasta?
1: But with arugula in your way. Well,
2: I I, I put my own spin on it.
1: Pancetta. Uh,
2: But traditionally in Italy, it is just cheese and pepper. That is all it is. You know, and usually it's sheep's milk cheese on top of it all. Now, I like to switch things up as I like to do. I'd make a real meal out of it, so I got to have something green. And arugula is my favorite, so we add some arugula, and I add a little meat to it. Can't go wrong with a little pancetta in it. You could also use bacon if you want. Does anybody know the difference between bacon and pancetta? Do you know the difference between bacon and pancetta? Are you? Trying- no, no. I'm just asking because a lot of people ask me that question. Between bacon
1: and pancetta. Yes. So both pork I products. think bacon is cured and pancetta is not. Correct.
2: Brava. Sometimes it's a fun little no, away. I
1: think that's a, it was a wonderful question to ask. Thank God I knew the answer okay.
2: I have a feeling you know a lot about a lot about food
1: no, it's just a little bit <laughs> really, I'm a big eater is really what it is. okay. The other recipe on our site is grilled chicken in voltini. yes, I you do. love this right
2: I do because they're like little pockets, and when you cut into them, they 're colorful, and I just like. It reminds me. Oh, it sounds ridiculous, but other than Italian food, I love Japanese food because they're like little gems. And to me, this is sort of the Italian version of the little gems, right? You cut them up like almost like sushi rolls, and they have all the color inside. And I just like it. So you're rolling chicken with with. You're stuff rolling, inside. yeah. You're rolling chicken breast, yes, and that, with that stuff goes, inside of it. In the grill. Yeah, uh, I like right to on grill the grill. Okay. Yeah, because it gives it sort of a, a warmth. I find what happens with Involtini a lot of times is that people end up boiling them because the pan's never hot enough. But on your grill, that will be hot enough. And I will guarantee you some sear and some nice smoky flavor.
1: So I read cookbooks at night, just before sleep, like it's pornography. <laughs> and I...
2: <laughs> and... Does it put you to sleep? <laughs> or keep you up? So...
1: So I would say that it's always my test with a book if I say, oh, my God, this is unbelievable.
2: Well, we're really getting personal tonight. Oh, Lord.
1: Here it is. Grilled scallops with prosciutto and basil. Think about it. You see? You're doing it, too. This is a beautiful recipe. How did you come up with this? <laughs> I, Are you blushing?
2: I, yeah. I, I, I didn't realize this was where this was going this evening. Um, this is how so, I get an audience. <laughs> so, for those of you who've been to Sicily, you know that swordfish is sort of in every single dish that they make. And in Italy, they're called spidini. And so I had these great spidini that were wrapped in prosciutto. And I thought... I can't take any more swordfish in my life. And I thought, if I have to eat one more piece of swordfish, I will, I don't know. So I did it with scallops. And although scallops tend to be obviously more delicate because it's not as meaty as swordfish, uh, you have to be careful with scallops, easy to overcook. But I did it with the scallops, and I actually thought it was more, yes, wrapping around the outside. And I thought it was, what? No, I feel like you're directing me, but I'm not sure where we're going. (laughs) No, but I, I was just saying... It's, it's part of uh, my plan. It's very... De- You're going to hypnotize me. Um, it's. I find scallops wrapped in prosciutto to be a very sexy dish. It really is. It's delicate. It's very delicate, but it's very sexy, too. I think anything wrapped in prosciutto, actually, is quite sexy, I must oh, say. I
1: agree. I agree. It's that old school... What was that called? Was it rumaki? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Remember that old thing? So can you just help me a little bit with the scallop goes on its side, you roll it with a piece of basil Mm -hmm. inside, Mm -hmm. and the scallop is on the outside as if it's a a sushi roll.
2: Correct. So see where my love of Japanese food still is like bleeding Mm -hmm. through all of this? And actually this is the first time I've ever talked about that, so it's interesting that you've been able to pull that out of me, Faith.
1: There is a soup that you make, pasta pomodoro. Yeah, uh, pasta pomodoro. Say it? Papa al pomodoro. Ah, papa, because
2: beautiful. The, the bread falls apart. Um, like, oh, so papa. bread in the soup. Like bread giant. soup, traditional, northern Italian, Tuscan sort of, leftover oh. bread with tomatoes.
1: Most gorgeous food photography in this book, by the way. You yeah. never did that, Aubrey Pick is, is a good
2: photographer. Fabulous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
1: I looked at this dish, and I thought, why would I just want this in one or two seasons in the chilly weather? And I wanted to try this out on you. Would it be possible for me to make this bread soup with a little bit of, I think there's pancetta in this one too, am I correct? Yes, yes but you can always take it out. If you like. Could I serve this even in the warmer weather at room temperature? Would that be okay with you? Would they do that in Italy?
2: (laughs) Yes, they do, actually. I would say that it's sort of the idea, although a lot chunkier, like a gazpacho, truly. I would use fresh tomatoes. Don't bother with the canned. Cut them up. You let them sit with the bread and all of the seasoning. The pancita, you just have to render and do all that in advance. A lot of time, with the warm one, I like to add a Parmesan cheese rind because it sort of melts in there. Now, if you do it cold, you could actually heat it up just so the Parmesan cheese slowly starts to melt and then cool it off and just let it sit at room temperature. It'll be delicious because there's a lot of tomatoes in the summer, a lot of basil, so the flavors would actually be fantastic. Um, So, yes, it can be either way. But traditionally in Italy, in the north especially, where this dish started... It's always uh, served in the winter, but you could definitely do it in the summer don't go
1: anywhere. You can't believe what Jada is going to talk about next. I asked her to take us behind the scenes at the Food Network to tell us how they really prepare for those TV shots that we see that are so gorgeous. More mouth-watering conversation and fun ahead with Jada here on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope, as always, you'll make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. And we'll be right back.
3: Cheesy, best Black and white truffles, and I eat tuna steaks with a garlic mashed potato and a couple crab cakes. I'm Mr. Dicky Baba Ganoush, dolce in the mezzo, and I'm.
1: Jada De Laurentiis is our guest here on the Food Schmooze Party in downtown Madison. Thanks to R.J. Joya Booksellers, and we are with a huge audience. <laughs> Jada's book is called Jada's Italy, and you will see it on our website with some of the recipes that she's graciously given to us at public radio.
2: Did you pick a dessert by chance, Faith? The three recipes were the scallops, the and chicken, the chicken and oh, no and desserts. the cacio e oh, I pepe. almost went for the brownies.
1: But, I was going to say. Okay, okay. I want to bring you back to swordfish. You said, if oh. I have one more piece of swordfish, oh, and just, I thought, aha, I've got you now, because in your restaurant in Las Vegas, yes. there is a swordfish dish. I went nuts when I saw this, because it had candied lemon. With it. And that turned out to be a huge hit at the restaurant in Vegas, right? Honestly,
2: who knew that the candied lemon on my arugula salad would be like the end all be all? Between my lemon ricotta cookies, my lemon spaghetti, and the candied lemon on my arugula salad, honestly, it's unbelievable, especially in a place like Vegas where it's all about steaks and meat, meat, meat. So, yeah, my candied lemons, and I also use the, um, the uh, syrup from making the candied lemons in the dressing. Along with a little panchita. Those Nobody's, are the two secrets to the great dressing yeah. there that makes all that arugula so delicious. Nobody's laughing at
1: my food pornography now. <laughs> hey, when you do the Food Network show, which one? All of them. Okay. Just checking. And I watch all of them. Really, you're absolutely fantastic at what you do. I really oh, mean thanks. that sincerely. I do. How much? I, when I sit there, just coming from a world of radio and television, and I watch how things are done, I'm trying to understand what is prepped for you ahead of time. Who's putting things in a refrigerator so, or the oven, and you can pull it out and say, "Here it is, finished." Or how does it work?
2: Am I allowed to tell you that? No, I'm just kidding. Um, how does it work? Well. I do have a dishwasher who does all the dishes, which is really nice. And I have three girls in the kitchen that help me prep stuff. I will say that a lot of the prep I try to do myself. Also because it never matches, ever, down to the slicing of the bread. If they pre-slice and I have to slice one more slice, it's never as nice or as even. The onions never match. Things don't match. So we've stopped a long time ago trying to do all the prep work in advance. I chop a certain way, I slice a certain way, and it just doesn't match what the girls do. So, um, But we plan these recipes way in advance, and we do what's known as a breakdown. Okay, So the kitchen and director and the whole, the whole production team knows what's going to happen. We do not write scripts, though. That I just ad-lib. But uh, we do have a whole breakdown. So they'll know Jada wants to mm-hmm. chop an onion, and then she wants to chop this. I sometimes change the order at the last minute or I add an ingredient or take one away. You never know. It does take a lot of planning, but I do like to cook my own stuff. Now, would we have a swap? Sometimes. Not always. Because the problem is they don't always match. And I feel that people catch that kind of stuff. And so a lot of times if something has to bake, that's the first act. That's what I do. It goes in the kitchen and bakes and I move on to act two. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I come back as soon as it's done and I just finish out that last act
0: mm-hmm. or
2: it shows up later in the show so I can bake all of my own things also for me it's a really great way to retest that recipe one last time so if someone else is prepping everything then I'm not sure it actually works out from beginning to end if we chop it up
0: oh. so it's
2: a really great way for once again to retest those recipes I am only as good as my recipes. So if my recipes don't work, then I'm not going to be here anymore. And that yeah. was from day one. So it has really been uh, very helpful for me to cook my own stuff. I will tell you, though, that my days are very long for that yes. reason. Yeah. Because we can't, you know, we do one show a day, we have two cameras, and uh, it takes a long time to shoot it. We do close-ups and we do wide shots and three-quarter shots and sometimes and have I have to, to go ma- back and do grab shots and we can only do the grabs with my hands. I don't allow have anything. to match, right? Well, Every, yeah, I mean, uh, the, hello, I'm known for my nails. Like, I, I can't find somebody else with short fingers with these kind of nails. Like, it's become too... And I, like I said, I hold yeah. a knife differently. People would know. And then there goes my reputation, right out the window.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Ina and I just do less shows. We just don't do 500 shows a year. We do, we do less. We do 20, or we do 26. You know, oh, that's the difference.
1: That's so good. That's the
2: difference. We, just do, we do them very well, and we take the time. We just don't do as many.
1: Is this your sensibility? I certainly know your background. And there is a very cinematic quality to your show. And I I bet you are very fussy
2: about that, yes? yes? so my family's in the movie business. So I grew up in the movie business. Uh, My grandfather made 600 movies in 60 years. I was born in Rome. I moved to the States when I was eight with my grandfather and my whole family. So he was the patriarch. Once he decided to go to America and have the American dream, we all just went, followed him like little ducklings. And... I grew up in the movies My grandmother was an actress And so when they asked me to do a food show I said, well, I, I'm going to do it a little differently Because you have to remember Food Network was just doing shows with like 20 cameras You know, cameras everywhere And they were just, just cranking out shows um, But that's not my style And I knew I could not get The sensuality of the Italian culture and food If I did it that way It just wouldn't mm-hmm. happen It wouldn't mm-hmm. And so, yes, that is yeah. part of what I wanted to do a little bit differently. And lucky for me, it worked. Now, it could have completely gone the other way as well. But at least I knew I did it the way I wanted to do it, and it seemed and it seemed to work. It's beautiful. Yeah, and Ina does it her way that way as well. I mean, we all, you know, there's a couple of us, a few of us that shoot that way. Not everybody does, but some of us do. I was thinking
1: about your heritage and how... So many years ago, when Italians came to America, there was so much discrimination that Italians faced, and now we are in a time where so many of us hope, when our DNA testing, to find yeah, out that, that, you're that you're Italian. Italian yes,
2: like, I certainly do.
1: Yes. Um, what What happened? What went on to make this happen?
2: You know, part of me feels that that part of my success is also being at the right place at the right time, right? So my success really started when I got on television after 9-11, when people realized, you know what? We need to spend more time with the people we love, and we need to learn to entertain at home, and we have to stop going out in public. We need to stay home and stay together as a clan and build build these relationships, build these memories, build a culture for ourselves. When that whole thought process changed, because it did, restaurants started to see a big decline in revenue, and cookbooks and cooking shows went nuts because people realized, okay, we need to rethink who we are. And I think the Italian culture is one that really believes and is very centered in the family, we everything revolves around the family and not just Italians in Italy Italians here too we are very focused on our culture and our family and we don't let it go and so I think that that is one of the many reasons that people gravitated towards Italian it's very warm and it's very inviting and it's very sensual all things that tap into creating a culture that I feel was lost for a long time but now it has come back in full force so mm-hmm. it was strange but you know That's it great. was part of it as mm-hmm. strange as that as that might sound to people when I say it because a lot of people think what but it did it, the mentality changed in this country across the board and we spent more time at home and we learned to entertain at home in a different mm-hmm. way we'd gotten away from it yeah we got to know mm-hmm. the people too yeah and the talents the creativity hmm people were able to travel more, too. I'm sorry? People were able to travel more. I mean, I remember when I moved here, my mother was importing pasta, Parmesan cheese, prosciutto, everything, everything. You go to um, Kmart, and you can find prosciutto. It may not be the best quality, but you can find it, and mascarpone and ricotta, all the things that didn't exist when I moved here. People were like, what is that? What are you talking about? Mm. It's pretty remarkable what's happened in the last 25 years. Mm.
1: What about your philosophy, or at least as it's described about you, of morphing together the uh, true Italian cooking, which is a little bit different, quite a bit different from Italian-American cooking. Yes, it's different. And your sensibility from L.A. and that sort of healthful profile. that how did, did you set out to do that, or is that how that's come to be described?
2: No, Faith, I didn't set out to do any of this. (laughs) I just liked to cook. (laughs) That was it. Um, No, I I didn't set out to do it. It's just the way I think. um, I just think that I took the recipes that my family was making. I realized that I really couldn't eat like that on a regular basis. It was too heavy. And I also live in a city where We're lucky enough to have a lot of fruits and vegetables around, almost year-round. And I realized I want to hold on to the traditional recipes that my parents made, but I kind of want to give them a makeover. I want to lighten them up. I want to make them a little more modern and a little more doable, and I want to make them colorful. I do not like beige food. I say it all day at my restaurants. Please don't serve me beige food. I cannot take it, it's depressing to me. I need to see a plate that's got lots of color and texture because we eat with our eyes first and that was sort of the mission that I was on. I do not like beige, boring food. Color, I'm not asking for much, but I like color and texture. And so I set out to do that in just about all of my recipes and sometimes to my Aunt Raffi's dismay and she would get really upset. But I think now they've all realized that that's just what I do. I make it better.
1: Okay, so, so, so last question, so we can leave some time for people, would be to say, to ask you, um, what was it, and maybe still is, uh, about cooking that so appealed to you? Everybody's got a passion that calls to them. Why do you think that was yours?
2: Well, it was mine because uh, I come from a large Italian family, and as a female, it is very difficult to be heard or for anybody really to notice you. And in the kitchen, I felt powerful, I felt like I had a voice, and my family listened. And they liked what I made, and I got a lot of positive reinforcement from it. And so I thought, I never want to do anything else. Why would I want to do anything else? It's where I feel the best about who I am. I feel the best when I am cooking. Are we and better off? I just want to feel that 24. I mean, seven. But it's different for everyone. You're phenomenal. It's different phenomenal. for you and for me and for You're everybody You're just else. phenomenal.
1: Thank you, Jada De Laurentiis, well, author you, of Giada's Italy. One of the best conversations I've had about food in a long time. Oh, it's God. just a privilege to be with Jada. welcome well not only giada but we're going to go corn crazy on this show it's that time of year and we can't wait to tell you about all the corn dishes that we've come up with we love the local please support your local food growers and food makers here comes corn to go away I'm Faith Middleton. This is the Fudge Moose Party, offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts and New York, including Westchester County, the East End of Long Island, the Hamptons, of course, senior producers, Robin Doyon Akin. And to hear the show on Connecticut Public Radio, it airs Thursdays at 3 and 9 and Saturdays at noon. Podcasts and our curated recommendations are always online on the Internet machine at foodschmooze.org. Okay, we promised we're going to go corn crazy. We've got Chris Brasperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut. Mark Raymond, our wine broker from Wethersfield, Connecticut. This is peak corn season. Every day. Who doesn't love
4: corn on the cob? Fresh I just, corn on the cob. I
1: just want it all the time. I just keep <laughs> saying, can we have corn? Should we have corn with that meal? How about if we cook it this way? How about if we cook it? Mark, you've got a couple of recipes, Yes, yeah. I know you uh, love to do your love, stuff. I love, love corn. Years ago... Fine Cooking Magazine had done a little section, a few pages, on different things about corn. Uh And they had some flavored butters that they recommended. And I'm sure you can go into their archive and look up those flavored butters. But I wanted to pass on a couple of tips. First one is when you're buying corn, try for ears that are as heavy as possible. Yep. And be sure to cook it the same day that you buy it, because the longer it stays in the air, the more the the sugars and starches start to evaporate, and that means flavor is going. You want to cook it the same day, absolutely. Buy what you need. Buy what you're going to use. Okay. I remember them talking about how to do corn in the microwave, and when Mm -hmm. I'm Home by myself, and I'm desperate, and I don't feel like standing around for a pot of water. I, I just throw <laughs> totally. three, four ears into the microwave. I agree with it, that It one. takes about four yep. minutes. Don't need to boil it. I don't even husk it. Yep. And then when it comes out of the microwave, you let it cool for a minute or two. The outside husk comes right off, and the silk yep. just slips right off. We're in
3: total agreement with this one. Yeah. A yeah, okay. pot of water is too much work. Well, it can be. (laughs) It is. If If you could just drop it in the microwave, and the first time you told me about this one, I went home and ran home and did it because it makes peeling the corn not even a job. Yeah, it's like easy. when we were kids we used to have to sit on the porch and, right? Yeah, cuz
4: all that silk would get all yeah, over the all house over the and place
3: and yeah, and now you can just parents pop, it get mad at it, yeah. pop it in the microwave, Pop it in the microwave, you're done.
1: Mark Raymond has a couple recipes, so let's start with one. We've got these posted online. And these are recipes that are adapted from things that Mark found on the internet machine. And so here you go. Uh,
4: I was over at my uh, sister's house, Meredith's, for a uh, picnic. She had made this dish, and it caught my eye because of the bright colors. And we were having kielbasa, hot dogs, hamburgs, and I saw this beautiful fresh corn salad. It was amazingly delicious. It had a little bit of citrus to it. It had that fresh, sweet corn, a little bit of basil. It was, oh, so refreshing, and it was chilled. So it had that just nice, refreshing texture to it.
1: So this is right now posted for you at foodschmooze.org. Okay, Mark, tell us how it comes together. All
4: right, so you've got corn, you've got cherry tomatoes, crumbled feta, red onion, basil, olive oil, juice of one lime, kosher salt, cracked black pepper, and a little bit of smoked paprika.
1: Ooh-hoo.
4: Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. They yeah, like have
5: it. all that stuff in the spice drawer or the pantry or whatever. Mm-hmm. You do yeah. yeah.
1: I detect as you were adapting this recipe, I, I see Mark Raymond in the smoked paprika.
4: Oh, Don't one I? of my favorite. One Me of my too. favorite spices. <laughs>
1: Pimenton, right?
4: Pimenton. <laughs>
1: okay. That sounds delicious. And again, you can find the recipe at our site.
3: Okay, Chris, what's your favorite thing to do with corn? See, I'm on a creamed corn kick. Have you done creamed corn? And I don't care what recipe you have for creamed corn. You have to try this one added thing that I do now. Take crisp bacon and crumble it up. Right at the end. Like uh, the one You're I'm using hero. now is oh. cream cheese and butter mm. and I do it in the slow cooker. So cream cheese, butter, a little bit of milk. You put your corn in there and just let it go mm. for hours mm. and just oh. some bubbles oh, and bubbles. And then right before I serve it, I take crumbled bacon, crispy bacon, put it on top with fresh chives. Oh, then, oh yeah. I don't know. It's cream corn oh. is just something, right? It just sort of melts. It, oh, makes, it, you, is uh, it makes you all unbeatable. gooey inside. And then unbeatable. crispy bacon on top. Heaven is yeah, know that's
1: great. Do you remember earlier we had on Justin Chappell? He's from Food and Wine magazine. Yeah, the he's a meatloaf the, guy. He's <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So he did this cookbook <laughs> called Just Cook It. For those of you who did get that book, or for those of you who want to look this up under his name, Justin Chappell, C H A P P L E, he had a recipe in this book. For a Thai skillet corn. Now, I love oh, yeah. skillet corn where you char it in a cast iron skillet. You taught me that a few
3: years ago. Oh,
1: I have friends, Emily and Roma, who make this so well. Which is a little I, and butter, and even right? when I try to duplicate exactly what they do, I can't do it. It gets caramelized. But it's not bad what I do. But what they do is spectacular. They caramelize it with much more skill than I do. <laughs> they were both chefs and they know what they're doing. Okay, so... In his recipe, I don't know if you remember, but you've gotten the the, uh, corn off the cob, and he takes unsweetened coconut and toasts it, and then fresh lime juice, a little touch of Asian fish sauce, Um. a touch of brown sugar, chopped fresh cilantro, couple scallions, thinly sliced, a hot red chili pepper that you slice up, kosher salt, ground pepper, and it goes into the cast iron skillet or into your fry pan. And then at the end, you sprinkle on top the toasted coconut. Wow. So all this, it's Uh, all all those Thai flavors that you would find with maybe chicken or fish and certain vegetables. It's this exact same thing that he did, except he did it with corn. It was just a brilliant idea, I thought. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm making that. And if you eat Thai food and you know this kind of standard Mm. recipe, you don't even, you can just make it up, look up any Thai... Basic sauce, and you'll see, okay, this is it. Boom.
5: So I've got one, Faith. I'd like to kind of springboard off of Chris's creamed corn idea here, and I have a recipe from Epicurious that I absolutely love. Think of corn now as comfort food, because here's what I'm going to tell you. Corn carbonara. Wow. So the carbonara part, instead of the egg that you would normally put in uh, a pasta carbonara, you're going to use a creamed corn. As part of that sauce, it is like a corn sauce that you're mixing in with the pasta. And of course, because corn and bacon are best friends, that's part of this too.
0: That's wow. genius. Uh-oh.
5: Four ears Uh-oh. of corn. You this cut the kernels off. Two,
1: two corn dishes with bacon. I'm, I'm in half. <laughs> yeah.
5: Cut the kernels off. Put them in a blender, half of the kernels. Yeah. Here's a good tip for people who are making creamed corn, really, for any reason. You take a knife and you scrape it along the cob and the you milk. get all we that milk.
1: Yeah. Have yeah. that
5: go into the blender, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And you buzz that up and that becomes your corn sauce. Mix it with your pasta, basil at the end.
3: Parmesan cheese. Yeah.
5: Yes, oh. yes, and, and it is this. a carbonara. It's a legit
1: carbonara. Unbelievable God. idea. This That's is also this idea that Robin is talking about, where you run the knife yeah, yeah. and get the milk out. That is always the key to a fabulous corn chowder. You can tell when the chef has taken the time to do that because some of them will just poach the whole cob in it to get the milk out of it. And it it really is like a corn stock at that point. So delicious. So I love that you do that, Robin.
3: I always tell people never throw away your corn cobs. Take them, snap them in half, put them in a pot of water, just cover it, simmer them for 20 minutes or 30 minutes, and then keep that liquid in the refrigerator. What are you doing with it? Everything from pastas to soups to making sauces. It's like having a a vegetarian stock in your fridge. Yeah. And it is the best vegetarian stock on the planet. And people just, after they finish their corn, they throw it away. I'm like, no, because Uh that
4: liquid is good. Gold. You How about I might use a little of that, that stock in like a linguine. White, clam cola. sauce.
3: Oh. Anywhere you would oh, use oh, stock. Yeah.
1: That's yeah. a great idea. As I'm listening to you, Chris, I'm thinking, what's the New England clam bake? What if you put the the uh, cobs, the stripped Mm -hmm. cobs, into the water with lobster shells? Ooh, then you're making lobster. And maybe a little bit of the corn kernels. Now Uh. you're making. It's going to be a New England lobster
3: bake soup. Yeah, put some Mm. fresh potatoes in there and some corn. That's heaven. Isn't that good?
1: Okay, that's the new one
3: right there. Oh, that'll be on the menu soon.
5: Now I feel like inviting people over. I
1: like that one. (laughs) <laughs> really fun, and bring your corn cob yeah. <laughs> <laughs> corn party all right let 's do a fast how to cut corn. I remember when Justin Chapel turned me onto this idea, and I thought it was so fantastic so there 's this whole thing about how to cut corn off the cob. Some people I find myself sometimes cutting the cob in half so that it 's not so tall making a little cut at the bottom so it's nice and even when I do blah, blah, blah. But that Justin Chappell we had on the show from Food and Wine, the director of the Test Kitchen, he has a great
3: idea. But Chris, I want to hear yours. What I do is instead of standing it up like you do and cut down, I lay it down. On a cutting board, flat, and then I just take my knife and run it like I was cutting anything from top to bottom and I cut the – and then the kernels fall off but they don't get all over the place because – they don't fall so far. They don't fall right. so far because you're just cutting. If you think about it, you you make four of those cuts and you're already around the whole thing and it's easy.
1: Well, that's a great idea. Yeah, and then go yeah. back and
3: like you said, go back and scrape because that's a key part. I scrape it right on top of the corn kernel so it's mixed all together you mean the milk the off milk the yeah cob. just mm-hmm. scrape and make sure you get every little that's bit a of great
1: that. idea okay and then justin's idea was that you take two bowls one larger than the other so the smaller bowl gets inverted flipped over and set inside the big bowl and then you do the slicing of the cob on the inner small bowl and that way the corn kernels fall all over into the larger bowl and so they're not flying all over the kitchen counter. So I thought that was a good idea. Oh, yeah. about Chris, yeah. I think yeah. you won this one. I think on the corn challenge, that's pretty darn
3: good. The only problem I have with that one is, is not everyone has big bowls. Like I always go to people's houses and help them cook and stuff and I ask for a big bowl and I get like this soup cup. <laughs> No, that's not a big Big bowl. It's like you can barely put
4: your arms around it in my world. (laughs) That's what a big bowl
1: is. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, Mark, you had another corn recipe that we posted.
4: Yeah. So this is called humita, which is a traditional South American corn dish that they would serve, the gauchos would make when they're uh, doing their barbecue. So they would take the fresh corn, again, cutting it the same way that we've been talking about, adding a little bit of cream to it, red onion, uh, jalapeno, garlic. Got to have some garlic in there. Olive oil, butter, paprika again. A little cayenne pepper. And what you do is just put this into your food processor for maybe like just a couple quick pulses. Mm-hmm. Put it into a Dutch oven. Let it get to a simmer or a, a slight boil on, on, top, top. on top of the stove. Mm-hmm. And then turn it down to simmer and cover it and just let it kind of cook. And what you've got is sort of—it's I guess it's kind of like a, a cream corn, but it's a lot thicker because you've got more of the crunchy kernels in it. Ooh. And Ooh, uh, I like it's this. just a nice little side dish to when yep. you're having grilled meat and sausage Ooh. and Ooh. Uh, all that good, goodness good. that you get from this the Argentine is really barbecue. Good.
1: Yeah. Oh my god! Okay, we could talk about this for years.
4: Oh, <laughs> oh corn is amazing. <laughs> we're, we're
1: corn maniacs on the show. So go to a corn stand. I know people have favorites. I might ask you, where is your favorite? Come on, give it up. We want to know because we travel all around. We want to hear where it is. Go on Facebook right now and tell us and we'll talk back and forth with you. And maybe you discovered someplace, fell upon it, and it turns out to have the most astonishing corn. Let us know. That's Faith Middleton Food Schmooze on Facebook. We're on Connecticut Public Radio Thursdays at 3 and 9 and Saturdays at noon. Weekdays, listen for my 60-second food schmoozes, never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton.